Good morning. Good morning. Wow. So good to be with you. My name's Thomas. I am uh, one of your pastors here at Parkview. Uh, I'm not as tall as Doug Fern, but I'm getting there. And if you'll keep praying, it might happen. Okay. So today, it was Easter last week. Yeah, it was great. Wasn't that wonderful? That was great. And uh, this week, we are beginning, uh, well, I guess not beginning, but continuing uh, thinking about and sort of marinating on the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and now his ascension to the Father's right hand in the heavenlies. What does that mean? Well, think about this. The distance from London, England to Canberra, Australia is 10,545 miles. Pretty far. So why is it that Queen Elizabeth II is still Australia's queen? Go to Australia, get a $100 bill, there she is. She's, she's their head of state. Why is that? That is, how is it possible for that lovely old woman, and God help her, her husband died this week, so we, please comfort her, Lord. How, how can she lead the country from so far away? Even in the age of the internet, even at, you know, all those realities, how in the world can she possibly do it? Well, I'm weird, so I, I'm on Wikipedia trying to figure this out. It turns out that reality is she's sort of a figurehead. It's not a real, she's not really exerting authority over them and leading them, and so to speak. Well, if last week we celebrated the resurrection, and if we understand what the Bible tells us about Jesus, uh, after the 40 days after he's raised from the dead, he ascends to the Father's right hand, and as we read in Ephesians, that's, that's the truth we believe, then how is it, uh, I mean, 10,000 miles is one thing for the queen, how far away then is, is Christ from us, seated at the right hand of the Father? That is, how, how can he lead us? From, from such a distance, from, from being so abstracted away from us? Or to be more specific, what is Jesus doing now? Right now? As we sit here with our Bibles and, our, and, and trying to worship him, what's he doing? Well, uh, before we take our first big swing into this, I just want to, I know this wasn't in the reading, but if you are, have your Bible, and, and like Doug Fern likes to say, we have a good saying here at Parkview, bring your Bible. So uh, I know if you got it on your phone, that's good too. Take a look at Acts 1. I'm going to make you flip a little bit today, but in Acts 1, verses 1 and 2, I was just really struck by this this week as I began to sort of consider this question. Acts 1, 1 and 2, it says, in the first book, and I should say, the uh, book of Acts is written by the same man who wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the great biography of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So he says, in the first book, that is the Gospel of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So in case you missed that, what Luke is saying is that in his first book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, which, by, let me remind you what's in the Gospel of Luke, a few, a few things. Jesus is born. Jesus lives some 30-odd years, living, teaching God's words. He's a great prophet of the Lord. Uh, and then he dies uh, on, on a, a cross. We celebrated that last week. We remembered it. Then he's raised from the dead. And, uh, and, and the book of Luke even narrates some of Jesus' life after he's resurrected, still on earth, until uh, he's brought to the right hand of the Father. And Luke just, he put all of that under the heading, all that Jesus began to do and teach. Which is kind of astounding. Because I think it begs the question, if that's just what he began to do and teach, what is he doing now? 
Well, today we're going to try to answer that. Not, not fully, not wholly, there, there will be more, uh, but we're going to look through the New Testament, bop around a little bit in Ephesians and Hebrews and see three things that Jesus is doing right now. But let's first pray. We need God by his spirit to teach us these things if they will really have an impact. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that you, the resurrected Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, is re- you've received our worship today. When we sung of beholding the wonder, wondrous mystery that Christ put on flesh, condescended, and, and became like us in every way except sin, we celebrated that and we sung it not into a black ceiling, not into the brass heavens that could never hear us, but we sang it to the resurrected Christ who received our worship. And thank you that you don't just receive our worship, not only have you gathered us here today to sing words to you, but you've put words in my mouth to speak through your Bible to us. You, the resurrected Christ, have a word to say to us today. And I just pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and, and hands that will do the things that you have called us to, to see, hear, do, and, and be in the world that you have made. So do all that and more, Lord, we pray. Open us and help me, Lord, uh, in particular, to be full of your spirit, speaking your words to your people. We know you care so much about this, Lord, so please do it. For your glory, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Wonderful. So uh, you can flip over now to Ephesians 1, uh, which Ronnie just, just read for us so well and so passionately. Um, and that's where we'll learn our, f- our first thing that Jesus is doing right now. I, I picked up sort of mid-sentence there in verse 19. Uh, Ronnie gave sort of a gloss of what was, what was coming before that so it wouldn't sound completely out of context. But this is Paul praying for the church of Ephesus, a church, by the way, that when I look out here, it would have been probably smaller than this group. Um, so don't let this blow your mind and, and lose context here because this is just like us, okay? It says, the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, and I'll, I'll skip down here to verse 22. He, that is the Father, put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church. All things have been put under Christ's feet. Jesus right now is experiencing that reality of every single particle and planet and personality and everything being placed under his feet. Now, that's not a phrase we use very much, under my feet. Uh, is under my feet, does that mean that this stage? No, it's under my feet, but that's not what we're talking about. I think the closest thing that we, we maybe would think of is in, I don't know, if, I'm not a huge pro wrestling fan, but I know that when you put your foot up on someone and sort of do one of these, that means you've just dominated. You're, you're, you're the winner, okay? And that, uh, maybe that's something like what Paul is talking about here. It was more, more of a common phrase in the ancient world than it is today. But what it's saying is, Everything is under Jesus' authority. Jesus is busy. Jesus, at this moment, the resurrected divine Son of God, with a human body, by the way, not sort of a resurrected ghost, and now he's sort of spiritually at the right hand of the Father, there is, at this moment, there is a throne to the universe, there is a real ruling authority and power over the universe, and it's occupied by a human person. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he is overseeing history and guiding it to its fitting and proper destination. On the best day and worst day of human history, Jesus is and has been the final authority, supreme king, ensuring that every single particle and personality and actively and ultimately submits to his heavenly rule. 
That is to say, to, to answer our question, what is Jesus doing right now? Uh, the simple answer of Ephesians 1 is that Jesus is ruling the universe. That's our first thing, okay? If you like points. Ruling the universe. That's what Jesus is doing. He's ruling. And this is important. This really matters for us. It, it means that Christianity is not, it's not fundamentally a nice story, a really pleasant and calming story that leads us to live very tidy lives and, and aspire to good citizenship. It's, it, it means that God is not sort of an affable but senile old man in the heavens kind of nonchalantly watching history progress without his actual intervention. It also means that the world is not the product of sort of a metaphysical accident or sort of blind chance, and, and we're not here because of uh, the, the products of just natural processes. Rather, the Bible has a story. A story, by the way, meaning just a series of facts that connect together to make a narrative. It, it is a story, a particular story, a true story, that orients us to where we came from, where did all this stuff come from? Where did we come from? Where are we today? And where are we going? And Jesus is at the center of it. Jesus was there at the beginning with the Father and the Spirit, calling creation into existence by the word of his power. Jesus was there in the garden when our first parents, Adam and Eve, failed to honor God and the, with the tree. And Jesus was there in his own garden. We remember that last week. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he had a tree of his own that he was facing, and he was faithful where Adam failed. And Jesus was there on that cross, on the tree, dying. And on the cross, Jesus was crowned. Jesus was crowned with a crown of thorn, thorns. It was the crown of his choosing, because he is the ultimate authority. He chose a crown of thorns because he thought, God thinks, that a crown of thorns is the fitting inauguration of the kingdom that he oversees. The world is not how you expected it to be. Jesus, the creator, the divine son, writes himself into history, becomes killable so that we can kill him. And he absorbs human pain and divine wrath, and he experiences a real, actual human death with universal consequences, not just any old death, but God raises him from the dead, and for 40 days, he, he begins to walk around and show us what is to come, uh, what the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruits were the first part of the crop that came in, the first few grapes on the vine that the vintner would, drink, would chew them up, and by tasting them, he would say, ah, I see what my crop will be like this year. Jesus was that for 40 days walking around, showing us what life is going to be like and what we will begin to experience now. One day he's going to fix everything. That's good news. <laughs> that is very good news. He's starting now with a people who are filled with his spirit, the spirit that he commissions and sends into us, his people, gathers us, leads us day by day. We're going to talk about more about that in a second. But let me come back and just remind you, this is no nursery fable. This is no moral lesson. This is a story that puts all other stories under its feet, so to speak. It is the ultimate meta-narrative. It is Jesus on the heavenly throne commanding history, and that is to say commanding us and all of his people everywhere 
to live in line with reality as it is. As it really is. To live as a, as a Christian, to, to come to know Christ and to begin to obey him and the gospel pattern of his life, the crown of thorns wearing king kind of life, is to live along the grain of how you were created. In a certain sense, it feels very strange because of our flesh and, and all that has happened that's gone wrong within us, but in another sense, it is, it's everything you will ever, it, it will become so natural for you. And one day, it will, it, you won't even have to think about it. Not on this side of heaven, but I, it's important to say this too, because too often we walk around with sort of a shrunken sense of our world. Sort of a, just sort of a pitiful kind of understanding. And, it, and in some sense, I think we're, it, it's so understandable. I mean, we've got dishes to wash, and I've got diapers to change, <laughs> and there, your roommate just will not put a new roll of to toilet paper on. <laughs> and you just sort of, these things that can just sort of lower your gaze down onto sort of some of the heavenly, non-heavenly realities, so to speak, although God cares about those things as well. But we can just get bogged down in the everyday stuff of life. And maybe that's you coming in here today, right? That's why we come here today. That's why Jesus gathers his church every week, because he knows that that's what will happen inevitably. But the world instead is a grand place. It is a world charged with the grandeur of God and of Jesus, our very strange king, who has come to fix everything. So let me exhort you to abandon your puny version of reality and go with this one, because Jesus is ruling the universe, and it's very good news. Uh, so how is he doing it, though? Ephesians 4 is going to tell us a little bit about that. So if, if that's the first thing that Jesus is doing, how can, he, how can he, you know, rule and lead? And, you know, is he like the queen who's sort of on the money but not really in, in office? Uh, no, he is ruling the universe from the right, Father's right hand. Uh, second thing, let's go to Ephesians 4. I only have to flip one page. I don't know about you. It says this. Um, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. First thing you've got to notice there, Christ is giving gifts. Great, line me up. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Uh, he who descended is the one who also ascended, there's our, our thought for the day, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Christ is giving gifts. Great, awesome. And in this case, it seems the gifts we saw uh, in, in verse 11, the gifts happen to be the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And they are given to whom? To equip the saints. They're given to the saints to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, in the Bible, and especially when the Apostle Paul talks about Christians, saints is one of his sort of favorite words. Um, and that's because when we think of saints, we sort of think of a perfect person. And Paul actually kind of means that. In Paul's mind, to be united to Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, means that when God the Father looks at you or me, if we, if we are united to Jesus by faith, then he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. 
and, and he is arrayed toward us, disposed toward us, as he is toward his perfect son. Saints, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, which is another, Paul, one of Paul's favorite ways to refer to his church. So what is Jesus doing? Well, well, if the first image we dealt with was the throne room, that in the universe there is a throne, and, and Jesus, the, the human God-man who has taken on our nature, is seated there at the throne, at the right hand of the Father, that's, that's our first image, the throne room. The second image, I think, is the war room. The war room. Uh, maybe you've seen sort of some of these movies where you say, you know, the, the great general will go into, into this room and it's always very dark and shadowy and the lighting's very... Okay, and they've got this big table set out, right, and the map, and they've got, here's the front, and here they've got all these little pieces, and they have, of course, this very long stick or whatever it is, and they're going to push them along and say, okay, we need to move these guys over here, put this, we've got these resources in this regiment, and this guy's been trained in these specific things, and in order to win the battle, we need to sort of move this crew, and it's going to be scary, but we're going to push them this way, we're going to take a risk, and we're going to go this way, and we're going to get and we're going to have victory. Jesus, that is, is directing his church. He's directing his church by giving gifts, resources, gifts to each individual believer and also gifts in, in leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. By the way, isn't it funny that someone in my community group, Wyatt, you remember this week, we were talking about this. I was cheating on my sermon prep and I was like, help me. Um, and and uh, uh, one of the guys in our group said, isn't it interesting that the evangelists are one of the things given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry? In my mind, just the evangelists kind of go out, don't they just go do their thing? No, in, in fact, they, they are given those gifts in order to make... Anyway, interesting thought. But anyway, okay. Right now, Jesus, from his heavenly office, is arranging the pieces on the battlefield. You, me, and everyone moving his generals, putting all the foot soldiers in place, in the right place, in order to manifest his reign on earth. Right now, as we speak, God is using, in fact, me. What, what we're doing right now is part of what this passage is talking about. God is using me to equip you to play your part in the greatest battle of our generation. Yes. Amen. Will you be ready this week when the great general calls you forward? When he pushes your peace across the field, which means he calls you by his spirit to go and do all that he has made us to be and do in the world. Or to, to shift metaphors, uh, when we think of a director, maybe we think of, of the great director of the drama of redemption that God is playing, like we talked about the great story of redemption. Will we be ready when our lines come up this week? When, when the curtains open and, it's, and the spotlight sort of shines on you for a second, it's time for you to play your part. Will you be ready? Right now, King Jesus is directing every aspect of your life to produce maximum impact for his kingdom. I'm going to say it again. Right now, King Jesus is arranging every, every aspect of your life to produce maximal, maximum fruitfulness for his kingdom. Your roommates and neighbors are not a cosmic coincidence. Your coworkers are not a cosmic coincidence. Your family members are no accident. The person in front of you at uh, Walmart 
who is taking forever. <laughs> God's not surprised, okay? He wants, he wants to produce something in you and maybe in that person in that moment. Your personal history, your parentage, your education, your everything about you. God, the great master of creation, if we have really absorbed and understood point one, God ruling the universe through King Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, God has been working on you for 1,000 generations in either side to produce exactly you sitting in the exact chair where you're sitting with a, with a purpose. And he is nourishing you, leading you. He is giving you heart and breath and life and, and he is protecting you from some things. And he's allowing you to be exposed to some things. And he's trustworthy in that. Into your role. Into the role that he has given you by his word and by his spirit. This week, like I said, the curtains will part and the great director will call you forth. Not just once, but in every moment. Will we be ready? Will we, do you know your lines, right? Or do you know how to improvise better, better yet? Because maybe that's not the right way to say it. It's not as if we come forth and just say, the Apostles' Creed or something, you know, in every moment. Um, to, to live that way is to be so in, in embracing of the character of Christ. I remember seeing uh, a character on The Office. I don't know if you guys know. Rain Wilson, he plays Dwight on The Office. And I remember watching an interview he gave where he, was, he talked about how he was giving this line and he went to the director. He said, I just, I don't feel like this is what my character would say in this moment. And, and I think that should be us. Uh, as we live in this life sort of trying to improvise, what are my lines? What, what would my character say? That is the character of Christ. What Knowing and understanding, beyond learning these words, but learning, what, how would they apply in this exact situation? What, even in the five minutes after the service is done, what would God want me to say? What would, what would Christ, the character that he has called me to play and play into, say to the person sitting next to me, whether I know them or not, or to the person at the grocery store, or into my own heart? Uh, late at night. We must know our words. We must know the lines. We must know. Uh, we must know how to use our weapon, that is, our, our great weapon, the sword of the Spirit and the, uh, and the Word of God. I mean, imagine a battle where the soldiers uh, only trained with their weapons once a month. Disaster is what it would be. Uh, imagine a play where the actors only rehearse their lines uh, once before the performance. You guys want to see that? I don't, I don't think so. The drama of redemption is around us. The battle of our generation is upon us. And Jesus is directing his church. Are you ready to play your part? Now, uh, some ways this might look. I, I imagine this would be, we must immerse ourselves in scripture. We must know not only sort of all the words, but the shape of it and the narrative of it. What does God care about? That's what we really want to know. What does he say to us? What does he speak to us? God will meet you in his word by his spirit this week. Open it. Read it with people. Come, come to Sundays intentionally. Read the passage before you come. We send it out to you ahead of time so that you can read it. I, I love the thought that when I come and, and open this with you um, and I say the word wrong, you go, oh, that was wrong because you read it already and you've already begun to think and God's spirit has already begun to work and form Christ in you before I get up here and say words to you. Um, uh, join a community group if you're not part of one. Come to your community group with that kind of intentionality. Uh, ready to be part of the Bible discussion, having read it once, 
heard it on, the, you know, on Sunday, and then coming to your community group ready, thinking of how does this apply to me, and maybe how does this apply to my friend, to, you know, I think of Wyatt. Hey, sorry I keep calling you out, but I think you love it. Okay, <laughs> thinking of Wyatt, you know, what does Wyatt need to hear from this? How can I encourage him or, or others? Come prepared and lean into those opportunities. Right now, Jesus is ruling the universe and directing his church, so let's play our part. Finally, and this is, this is so important to wrap these things together because I've, I've laid heavy things on you here for us to do, but let's turn to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. It's about 100 pages on in my Bible. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, and I'll read this one again too. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he, that is Christ, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's, it's quite plain that right now, at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is making intercession for you, for me. Intercession, that's not a word we use very often. Intercession, I don't, I don't know if any of you use that word this week. Um, maybe we use it in a legal, legal context. Um, you might intercede for someone, or uh, another word you might use here might be advocate. Um, it's someone who speaks for another uh, who is in danger. Who is in danger. Um, to avoid danger and disaster, help is given by an intercessor. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. That's the third thing, by the way, if you're writing, if you like to write things down, uh, which I definitely recommend. He is interceding for us, ruling the universe, directing his church, and interceding for us. Now, when you're, you're thinking of an intercessor, and maybe in that legal context in particular, and, and that applies here too, um, what you want in an intercessor is a powerful person, right? You want someone who, you know, if I'm in danger, I want someone strong, <laughs> Someone who is capable, someone who can actually deliver me, someone who can do something about my problems. I, I need someone powerful. And that's what it says when, when it talks about Jesus being a priest. Maybe that's off-putting to you. Maybe uh, if, you, if you think, you know, for instance, I'm a pastor, I'm not a priest, and, and we don't have a priesthood here at Parkview Church um, because we already have a priest. It's not because we don't believe in priesthood. It's because Jesus is our ultimate priest. Uh, the priests of old in the Old Testament were the, were the men who stood between God and man. They were, uh, the key idea in priesthood is mediation. Mediation. God was holy and we were not. And so God made some men who would sort of act out the holiness of God and they could be protected in God's presence. But now, and, and as they gave sacrifices, but now we have Jesus, our great high priest, who has gone into the very presence of God and is a priest forever. And, and in fact, he, he does offer sacrifice. He offers the sacrifice of himself. So we still have a priest and we still have sacrifices, but they're all found in the person of Jesus. That's why we have pastors and not priests, because we have one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But when you need an intercessor, someone, in this case, who's at the right hand of the Father, making sure that we will be protected empowered, given everything that we need to endure this world and be empowered to obey in this world and live in this world and play our part in this world, you don't just need someone who's powerful. You need someone who knows what you need. The best intercessors, the most useful intercessors, 
are people who, who know exactly what the endangered party needs. In fact, the closer they are, the better, right? The closer to, they are to that situation, the ideal intercessor is someone who has been exactly where you are, who knows exactly what you are going through. Because you, an intercessor is necessary because I can't be there myself. I need someone to intercede on my behalf to make sure I'll have all you need. Uh, in the last two years, uh, a, a sequence of events have happened to me that has made this reality more clear than before, absolutely. Uh, in September 2019, my mom passed away suddenly, shockingly, she was 63, um, had a health condition we didn't know about, she died, you know, basically instantly. And um, following that, uh, I found out I had basically the same condition, and, you know, for, I remember for a month or two, I just walked around in a bit of terror, um, fearing that this, the same thing that happened to her would happen to me. Don't worry, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not in huge danger. But then, as a consequence of that, too, my mom was the primary caretaker for my grandma. And since she was gone, uh, some of those responsibilities really fell into our hands. And In my role as one of your pastors, there would be times when some of you would come to me and share, you're having an operation. You, you've got, received a diagnosis. Uh, I'm having trouble caring for my old, old parent. Um, I'm afraid of death. I, I lost my mom. I lost my dad. And I could empathize for you, I could say, I'm so sorry, that must be horrible. I, I can't imagine, and it was true, I couldn't imagine, really. And now I can, I can sympathize. Parfue, Jesus is, is the doctor who has been on the table, on the operating table. He, he knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend who, who kisses your cheek, but actually wishes you were dead. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and tried. In fact, though Jesus doesn't know what it feels like to sin, Jesus knows what it's like to be treated by the Father as if you had. Jesus has been hungry and tired and sick, and he's died. And he chose those things so that he doesn't have to say to you, that must be so hard, so that he can say to you, I know how you feel. Jesus, the resurrected king at the right hand of the Father, who is omni-capable to help you with your concerns, doesn't have to wonder how you're feeling because he has been there. Always. Is this a comfort to you? Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save you to the uttermost. Not just, I got saved and then my life kind of cratered. Not, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. Those who will just, what's, what's the prerequisite for having Jesus as your intercessor? 
as your Savior, as your, come to him. It's that you come to him. It's that you despair of your own righteousness. It's that you despair of your own resources and you simply come and you collapse at his feet. So Parkview, look at this king. Look at this king with a crown of thorns, with a human body sitting at the right hand of the Father, directing his universe, directing your life, who you are today and who he will lead you to become if we will obey him for his purpose, for his glory, to fix everything. Let's, ex let's, let's expand our understanding of the universe, the enchanted world that he has created, doing marvelous things every day in and through and in your lives, play our part in the drama of history that he is playing out, the great author, across time and space, and let's also, let's be comforted by Christ in the midst of that. Let's be comforted by his intercessory ministry at the Father's right hand, sending us everything we need, nourishment, comfort, challenge, exhortation, peace. Let's do it today, and let's become the people that God has created us to be for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what more could we ask for in a king? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christ. Lord, open our eyes to this reality. Show us what is. Break away the, the mirage of what's what's in front of our own eyes and so often clouds our vision of who you are and what you've called us to be and and magnify christ in our eyes and in our hearts and and help us to live along the grain of your world living and being and speaking the things you have called us to do and, and be do all this we pray for the glory of king jesus Amen.